Hello and welcome once again to the Foundry Church Podcast. My name is Joseph. I'm the worship pastor here at the Foundry Church in Winter Springs, Florida. Uh, we're glad that you're with us. We're starting a party this week and it's going for the next five weeks. Uh, several times over the last few years, we've done series about the parables of Jesus. This time around, we're doing an entire series on one parable, um, which probably is most commonly called the parable of the prodigal son. But um, we're going to see in our, um, you know, exploration of this over the next five weeks, that may not be the best title for it. Uh, so we hope that you'll be along for the ride with us. We hope you'll come with us to the party. And we hope that you enjoy this message, the first in this series uh, from our Family Life Pastor, Hunter Mertz. this week. We're so excited to have you all with us, whether you're worshiping with us in person or online this morning or sometime in the future. We're so happy that you're here. We're thrilled that Alive and You got to come and bless the community, and we got to partner with them a couple weeks ago. We've done that for the past two years, and we love having them here. I'm glad we got to share it. I definitely recommend go check out that 10-minute video. I get some inspiration for your week. They did some really great stuff. Now, you might have noticed, if you're with us in person, a couple of streamers, one or two, hanging up on the way in. That's uh, because we're starting a new series this week called Party. And on the coattails of our last series, of course, they gave the first week of this series to a seven because we sevens know how to party. Now, I wanted the side TVs to have like little gifs of people dancing, but I thought that might be a little too distracting. Our technology failed us a little bit. But we are going to have a fun, fun time over the next few weeks. And as we're starting our series on party, did you all hear that crazy story about a tech mogul breaking the record for throwing the largest party ever? It's a crazy story. If you didn't hear about it, let me fill you in with a few of the details. It was a CEO over in California, in charge of some robotics firm, and a few years ago, his younger son comes to him begging for his trust fund, right? He wanted to go off and make his own name for himself, not, you know, live under the shadow of his father. And I don't really know how trust works, but I guess it was like a, a living trust or something. And the father had to normally die for the son to get the, the trust fund, but... He did some legal maneuvering, got his sons the fun, and his son went off to Mexico to start his own business, a sustainable coffee business. But he grew up with a lot of money. He was used to a certain quality of life. And well, at the start, he spent a lot of money on building a really, really nice house for himself, buying a huge yacht, and just some really expensive lifestyle items. Now, they say it takes about two to three years minimum for a startup to become profitable, but the son wasn't quite thinking about that. So a few years in, he starts getting a little strapped for cash. And then COVID hit, and we all know how that went. His business went under, it, just, it dropped like a rock. 
He didn't have the momentum to keep it going. So if the borders locked down and his company in the trash, crazy as it is, he actually uses one of his contacts from the, his coffee business uh, to, to find some work on a farm. He's barely surviving down there. He's got lots and lots of debt. It's a real riches to rags scenario. Well, last month, I guess, he finally gets up the nerve to come back home. He's had enough of the starving, the poor living conditions. He decides to come back home and face the wrath of his father for wasting all of his money and hopefully see if maybe he can get a job working for his dad at the tech company. You know, really leaning to the whole nepotism benefits type of thing. Well, he gets back to California, calls his dad's office, and it turns off his dad took the day off and is back home. So he takes a bus as close as he can to the house and walks the rest of the way. All of the things he, he owns fits into a single backpack, so it wasn't a terrible trek. One of the benefits, I guess, to losing everything he had. Now he's out in front of the gates of this massive, massive estate, and he's pacing back and forth. There's a bunch of nervous energy trying to work up that courage to face his dad. He doesn't have high hopes for how this conversation is going to go. Finally, he feels like he's ready. He goes to press the buzzer, but the gate starts to swing open before he hits it, and he sees his dad running down the driveway. Now, like I said, it's a massive estate. It's like a, a quarter-mile-long driveway. His dad is literally sprinting down the driveway. So his son's standing there in these worn-out, old, stinky clothes, just frozen in place. His throat's dry. He's trying to go back over all of the things that he came up with, the excuses, the apologies, the proposal to see if he can work for his dad. And as his dad draws nearer, the son just braces himself, braces himself for the anger, or maybe what's the disappointment, whatever was to come. And his dad finally reaches him, throws his arms around his son and just hugs him. The son starts to tear up, muttering through his apology, Dad, I'm sorry. Dad, I really messed up. But his dad cuts him off, pulls his son in tighter, tears streaming down his face and says, none of that matters. You're here and you're alive. That's all that matters to me. We thought you were dead, but you're home now. When they get back to the house, the dad starts calling everybody he knows, telling him that his youngest son is home and that he's throwing a party that night. And apparently, apparently this guy in the tech world knows people and has the money to get things done very quickly. He gets DJ Khaled to throw the, help throw the party, and it just expl explodes from there, right? Massive world record-setting party. Strangely enough, though, this whole time, no one actually tells the older brother that his younger brother's back. Right? He's, the older son is the head of the development department of his father's robotics company. He puts in really, really long hours, so he gets the... 
about like 8 p.m., gets home kind of late. He has his own like 5,000 square foot house on his dad's estate. Um, but a block, a block from the estate, he can feel, like literally feel his car shaking from just how loud the music is. Like the line of guests is backed up so long, he can't even get to his own house. So he, he gets in line, gets up to the valet, and asks what's going on. And the valet tells him, your brother's back, and your dad's throwing this massive party to celebrate. Well, he's furious. He's absolutely just furious and refuses to go into this party. Instead, he storms off to his own house and locks himself inside. And when the father hears about it, here's what his older son did. He goes to find him to figure out what's wrong. The son refuses to even open the door for his dad. He's just yelling at his dad through the door, complaining about how he's always been there, working for his dad, making his dad lots of money, but his dad never threw him a party like this. Yet this other son comes home after squandering his money on who knows what, drugs, women, everything that you could think of, and his dad throws this absolute monster of a party the other son is just letting out all of his frustration, years of frustration, his voice getting louder and louder with each word. Well, finally, he yells himself out. And when he finally takes the, stops, takes a breath, the father also takes a deep breath and says calmly, my son, you are always with me. Everything that I have is yours, but we had to throw a party and celebrate because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. So how long into the story did you realize that it's not true, that it's the parable of the lost son or the parable of the prodigal son? Even even if you didn't grow up in church, you, you might have recognized it fairly easily, Right? The only other parable that might be as well known is the parable of the compassionate Samaritan. And that's one of the things that makes this parable that we're going to look at for the next five weeks so difficult to talk about. It's so commonplace, so expected. We know what's going to happen and exactly when it's going to happen and how it's going to happen. And I read through this a few times while trying to develop this sermon, and I came to the conclusion that this parable is boring. Or at least as a church, we've made it pretty boring. And there's no surprise anymore. There's no excitement. This is, this is one of the most surprising, counterintuitive, dramatic parables in all of Scripture, and we've turned it into something as mundane as telling you all, Maybe I had uh, plain oats for breakfast this week. Same thing I've had for the last two months. It's boring. This parable is supposed to be fun and challenging. I, at the heart of it, is about a party. It's supposed to take us on this roller coaster ride of emotions. It's supposed to get us up out of our seats. But it doesn't anymore. And we're going to spend the next five weeks trying to reclaim this parable. Reclaim the excitement and enthusiasm from it. And hopefully by the end of it, you'll feel a sense of excitement, 
about living into the participatory reality of the kingdom of God, and excitement about partying with God, because that is what this parable is all about. It's this giant, long-winded invitation to live your life as one big, ongoing party thrown in God's intended reality. So today, we're actually not going to look at that parable, or at least not for a bit, because this parable interacts with so many different parts of Luke's gospel. And so today, we'll look at a little bit of the bracketing parts, give us a little bit of a sense of what this party is all about. So as we start in Luke 7, John's disciples told him about all the things Jesus was doing, calling two of them. He sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And when the men came to Jesus, well, they said exactly that. John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And at that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, evil spirits, and gave sight to many who were blind. So we replied to the messengers, go back. Go back and report to John what you have seen and what you have heard. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. So blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Skipping ahead a few verses. All the people there, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptized by John. But the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. And Jesus went on to say, to, to what thing can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're... Ah, they're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other. Well, we played the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge, and you did not cry. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say he, he has a demon? Or the Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by all of her children, Jesus is living his life like it's a giant celebration that the Father's throwing. He's out here healing the sick. He's casting out demons. He's giving sight to the blind. In other words, he's finding people who aren't having a great time in life, and he's helping them live a fuller, more exciting life. He's inviting them to party with him in everyday life. I mean, so much so that people are calling Jesus a glutton and a drunkard. How much was Jesus eating and drinking that that's what people called him? Maybe it's because Jesus realized that the reality that God intended for us to live is one full of harmony and joy and happiness, and he wanted to share that with people. He actually wanted to go and have fun with people, to hang out and enjoy the people he was called to love. And the people got this. Those who are outcasts, those who are in pain, those who have been kicked out of the joys of life by others, they heard Jesus. And they responded to his invitation. And when Jesus welcomed them into the party, they came. 
They danced with him. They ate and drank with him. They followed him because they recognized the joy in what Jesus was doing. They were ready to party. But it goes right over the heads of the Pharisees and the experts of the laws. Those who were supposed to be studying the ways of God and teaching them to others, those who should be living the biggest expression of a party here on earth because their life was dedicated to God. They were the ones missing out on the invitation. And Jesus tells them, we played the pipe, the flute for you, and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't cry. Jesus is inviting them to rejoice over the things that God rejoices, to, to mourn over the things that God mourns over, but they're not. They can't accept the invitation of God's intended reality. They're waiting for a Messiah to already come, or to come who has already been here, spreading the kingdom of God. They're waiting for Messiah to bring the kingdom of heaven, but they cannot open their eyes to the fact that it is right in front of them. It's in their midst, and they're the kids in the back of the eighth grade dance that are awkwardly just kicking their feet in the corner because they don't know how to have fun. They don't know how to join the party. They don't know what a joyous life looks like anymore because they've forgotten what a life with God is. The blind are seeing, and they're remaining blind to the world that Jesus is creating. The dead are being raised, and they remain dead to the party going on around them. In Luke 17, Jesus actually says it a lot more directly. Once on being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus replied, well, the coming of the kingdom of God is not something that can be observed. Nor will people say, here it is, or, or, or there it is. Because the kingdom of God is in your midst. Right, to me, this is one of the most ridiculous parts of Scripture. I, I don't understand how Jesus remains so calm and patient here. He spent his whole ministry up to this point inviting people into the party of God which is God's intended reality, that is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Jesus has been spreading this kingdom for years, and they have the audacity to ask when it will come? Like, I don't know if I could have handled it. I feel like I would have snapped at least just a little bit. Something along the lines of, like, you dinguses. I don't know if they actually used that word back in the, uh, the original Greek or Aramaic, what they spoke. But I would have said, you dinguses, the kingdom of heaven is already here. Open your eyes for God's sake, literally. The blind are seen, the poor are being taken care of, the outcasts are being restored. The kingdom of heaven is not coming. It's here, now. Stop trying to kill the party by trying to kill me and start enjoying the kingdom of God that you have been yearning for. And so now, do, are you starting to see how this parable of the lost son isn't really about a lost son? Or the older son, who's lost in his own way? It's not even really about the father, although we'll talk about all of those characters in the upcoming weeks. This parable is about the invitation. It's about 
the party. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and he threw his arms around him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Bring the ring and put it on his finger, sandals for his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and is found. And so they began to celebrate. The father embraces and invites the younger son with a joy and an excitement that I don't know if I've ever experienced, neither on the receiving nor the giving end. And the younger son, knowing exactly what it was like to be outside of the kingdom of heaven, he graciously and he full-heartedly accepts the invitation to the party and he goes and celebrates. But meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. So he called one of his servants and he asked, what's going on? Well, your brother has come home, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. And the older brother became angry and he refused to go in. So the father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered the father, look, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders. You never gave me even a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home and you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate. We had to be glad. We had to party because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he's found. See, the father invites the older brother with a patience and a respect that is difficult to imagine. After the son refuses to come in, he reminds him there's no waiting for the participatory reality of the kingdom of God. He can participate, he can party any time that he wants. All he has to do is open his eyes. Open his eyes and see the party of God's intended reality right around him. The one that's in his midst. But now, well, now there's an extra reason to celebrate. The older brother isn't just partying because he's part of the kingdom. He gets to party now with his brother. That same invitation, that same invitation to party is extended to us today. We wait sometimes and we mumble about when the kingdom will come. 
when all the problems of the world will be fixed. Today, today let us open our eyes to the kingdom of God that is around us. Let us party with Jesus by taking care of the orphans and widows. Let us party by spreading love instead of hate. Let us party by accepting instead of rejecting. Let us party by healing relationships that are broken. That flute is playing. The party's bumping. Will we dance? Once again, thank you for spending a little bit of time with us this week on the Foundry Church podcast. As we said, this is our series for uh, this week and these coming four weeks. And uh, we're going to be taking a look at this same passage of scripture, the same story, uh, from the perspective of some of the different main characters in that story. And then on the fifth week of the series, we're going to um, just kind of have a party um, after church. So if you are local to us, uh, here in uh, Central Florida. Uh, we highly encourage you, if you're able to, to come join us in person on Sundays, and then again, especially that fifth Sunday uh, of this month where we're going we're gonna to have a party right after church. Uh, for now, though, that will do it. Uh, I'm Joseph. Thank you again for spending some time with us on the Foundry Church Podcast. We'll see you next time.